Good morning. I, I want to say on behalf of the entire City Council, again, I'm Joel and Clark from the Denver City Council. On behalf of the entire City Council, thank you for coming today. I see community members and community leaders. I see our awesome Vision Zero partners um, in the room today. And, and it really means a lot to have you here um, for the discussions that we're having. Um, we're all here this morning because our friends and our families uh, are being killed in serious uh, and, and getting serious injuries uh, in traffic crashes in our city. And here's some stats, and I know that everybody in this room knows this, but I think that it's important that we keep talking about it and we keep saying it um, until it's not happening anymore. In 2017, 11 people died in crashes along Federal Boulevard alone, including seven pedestrians. The rate of fatalities on Federal is currently 20 times higher than the urban rate on Colorado roadways, and in Colorado, motor vehicle crashes account for more than twice the number of deaths as homicides. The Vision Zero Action Plan launched in 2017 is a major step forward in prioritizing human lives on our city streets. Our goal is zero traffic deaths because no other goal is acceptable. Even one death is too many. The loss of life in traffic accidents is a tragedy and traffic deaths are preventable and safety must be the most important consideration for our streets. We must and we will do better. The Vision Zero Action Plan lays out 70 specific actions to save lives and create safer streets over the next five years. Vision Zero best practices include design elements like multimodal street standards, restricted parking near intersections, leading pedestrian intervals, slow zones, and median refuges. It's the city's responsibility to protect all of our transportation system users. We continue to focus many of Denver's Vision Zero efforts in areas with lower incomes, high concentrations of seniors and people with disabilities, low rates of vehicle ownership, high obesity rates, and high numbers of schools and community centers. A large portion of the high injury network of streets are in these areas, including many along Federal Boulevard. When the Vision Zero Action Plan launched in the fall, the city committed to taking action on Federal Boulevard. To expedite safety improvements, we're coordinating closely with our partners. The city has convened a Federal Boulevard Task Force, which includes members from Denver Public Works, from CDOT, from DPD, and other critical stakeholders. Today, you'll hear from Vision Zero advocates from communities across the nation, as well as Denver's Vision Zero team. They'll talk about what they're doing to make their streets, to make our streets safer. We also welcome and encourage your questions, and as you heard earlier, there are cards on the table so that we can learn from each other today. If you have questions, put them on those cards. Staff members will be collecting them, and we'll make sure that they get addressed during the panel sessions. Traffic deaths are preventable. And with your help, through the Denver Vision Zero Action Plan and partnerships inside and outside of our city and our community, we can, we will, we must get to zero. Thank you so, so much for being here, for dedicating your time. I know time is 
uh, a resource that is very scarce. And so the fact that you are here today to be a part of this conversation and help move us towards that goal is really important to me. It's really important to the entire city council. It's really important to everybody. All of the employees work really hard at the city to do this. We can't do this without community members and community leaders and without our, our task force partners. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So before we get started, I want to hang the mega microphone, hand the, this up over to Skylar McKinney. Um, who is the Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for today's sponsor, AAA Colorado, to say a few words. So help welcome up Skylar. Thank you. I think that when people think about AAA, you're probably a lot like me, right? You think of tow trucks, of, of emergency roadside assistance, and, and we're proud that we provide safety, security, and peace of mind at the roadside. But as I look back at the history of our organization, we were founded in, in 1921, 1922 as the Rocky Mountain Motorists. And if you look at our first advocacy, our first really lobby effort, it was, hey, the people are starting to use cars and we have all of these dirt roads. You can't, you get stuck in the mud, it's impossible to get anywhere if you own an automobile. Our infrastructure is not appropriate for this and it's not safe. So our first big public affairs push, and that's really what AAA is to me as an advocacy organization, was we numbered Colorado's first highways. We donated the roadsides for those highways to the state of Colorado because we recognized, hey, the automobile is, is, we think, the future of transportation, and that's why we're here as part of the American Automobile Association. I think you fast forward today, and certainly we care about motorists, and, and, and in Colorado, generally people at a certain point in their life will be a motorist. They might stop being a motorist. They might be a motorist again. But I think the transition that's important here is this idea of mobility. Right, that as an advocacy organization, we want to be responsible advocates for safe mobility. And there's no greater initiative for that than Vision Zero. And looking at what Denver's doing is exciting for us as an organization because I think it does represent the future. Figuring out how to make it so that you can be a pedestrian, so that you can be a bicyclist safely, that it's a completely uh, competitive way and, and for a lot of people makes more sense than driving. That might seem paradoxical to hear from AAA, but it's what we believe, that we have a responsibility to secure safe mobility. So it really thank you so much for, for taking your time today uh, to come in and, and engage on this. I think it, it really does represent a sea change moment in, in how we get from point A to point B and, and we're really pleased to be involved. So with that I'd like to introduce our Denver's Director of Public Works, Ulyss Cleckley, who himself uh, is not a car owner. Is that still true? Yeah, uh, and that's a great example of, of there are a lot of ways to get around and, and uh, no matter how or where you go we want you to get there safely. Thank you. All right, thank you, Skylar, appreciate it. And uh, good morning to everybody. Thank you for coming out and spending your morning with us to talk about a very important topic to all of our hearts. As Councilmember Clark said, that we're here today to really figure out the best ways that we can have safe streets for every resident within the city and county of Denver. And I'm pleased to uh, be here to be able to moderate a panel with some distinguished guests that we have. Uh, that are going to talk about ways in which they've leveraged the Vision Zero concept to bring safer roads to their respective areas. And so uh, what we will do is we will have and introduce our panelists. They'll come up. They'll give some presentations. As mentioned previously, there are cards on everyone's table. Um, please feel free to fill out those cards and hand them to a staff member, and we'll make sure that uh, we will be in a position to ask those questions and get answers from the panelists. And so with no further ado, we will introduce our panel for this morning's discussion. So first we have Anna Valzidic. 
There you go. From San Francisco Department of Public Health. Thank you. Welcome. We have Natasha Opfell from Walk San Francisco. Uh, Wajinda uh, Chambeshi from Great Streets Office of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. Chancy Maritel, uh, or Matarel, sorry, uh, Chancy uh, Matarel from the Thai Community Development Center in Los Angeles. And Ashley Bischoff from the Austin Department of Transportation. And so we will have our first presenter for this morning, which is Anna, and uh, we'll jump right into today's discussion. Hi there, can everybody hear me? Good morning, thank you for having us all here. This is really exciting. I'm actually thinking, how can I do this back in San Francisco and bringing all of our community residents together? So um, uh, it's really an honor to be here to present to you on some of the work that we're doing in um, San Francisco. There we go, oops. So um, since I'm the first one to speak on this panel, I thought I would start with just a, uh, a shared understanding of what Vision Zero is. So um, I've been working at the San Francisco Department of Public Health for 16 years. And when I started, this was the traditional approach that um, traffic deaths were inevitable. It was a cost, it was the price of moving goods and services. And um, we had to prevent collisions. And in San Francisco, we adopted Vision Zero in 2014. And it's, it's really turned uh, the city uh, around because it is actually in a, in, in a way a very public health approach that it is, um, with the understanding that we all make mistakes and that we shouldn't have to die for them and that we should be preventing the fatal and severe injuries. We're never going to prevent all collisions, but let's get, let's address the, the ones that have the most impact and that it prioritizes human lives um, as much or even more than moving goods and services. So, at the Department of Public Health, we have several roles in Vision Zero. My, we have about eight to 10 staff working on Vision Zero in various capacities. My colleague, Megan Weir, is the co-chair of the Vision Zero task force, and she's the lead for um, all of the data and evaluation that um, we provide. I am the lead for the community engagement and education, and, and I'm really impressed with all the work that you're doing here in Denver. We, um, our whole focus in, in the branch that I'm in is called the Community Health Equity and Promotion Ban Branch, and it is all about working with community residents on addressing the health issues that are most impacting their neighborhood, and that includes tobacco control, healthy eating, active living, and of course, Vision Zero. 
this is just a brief overview of the data in San Francisco. So this is a 12-year uh, overview of the data. We adopted Vision Zero in 2014. And last year, on average prior, it's been about 30 deaths a year. And you can see the blue is pedestrians, the yellow is bicyclists, and the green is motor vehicle. And that includes motorcycles, scooters, people in, and people driving in the cars, either the driver or the occupant. Um, we had last year a record 20 deaths in San Francisco. That is the lowest recorded number of traffic-related deaths in the history of San Francisco, and that's about 100 years. Um, that's a 41% decrease of fatalities in San Francisco since we adopted Vision Zero, but it is not zero. So we still have a lot of work to do. And of the 20, uh, we still have some pretty significant trends still. You can see the blue is the majority of the um, fatalities and seniors are in San Francisco are most impacted. One of the core values in, in, in the public health department is to address inequities. Um, we are not doing our job if we don't address inequities for our most vulnerable populations. And so we really, for Vision Zero, are focusing mostly on people walking and people biking because they're mostly, they're the ones that are most vulnerable on our roads and our data shows, at least for walkers, that they're the ones bearing the most impact. And that is true for um, seniors. And we're just starting to compile data on people with disabilities because um, my colleague Megan has done an amazing job of linking police records with the trauma center records and the trauma center is the one that records people with disabilities. So we're able to start um, looking on, on the impacts of that community. Uh, when it comes to age, in San Francisco, seniors suffer the, a disproportionate rate of the traffic fatalities. We have the really lucky that we have no youth fatalities, but uh, you can see about half of the people over 65 have, um, have died in traffic-related crashes, and um, for people 50 and older, it's almost 80%. So, Using this data, we're able to focus our efforts on where the problem is most needed. Um, this is a really growing. This is a growing trend in California. I actually believe it's growing. It's a trend nationally because people are aging in place. So we need to address this and uh, and design our communities to get ready for this growing trend in age. Um, and also. In terms of pedestrians, walking is really important to senior health. It's the easiest thing you can do. You don't have to get a gym membership. You just need a good pair of shoes, and you can go out. But it is our responsibility to make sure that it is safe for our, all of our residents, including our seniors, to do so. So because of this data, we were able to work with um, 
our mayor's office and create a program called Safe Streets for Seniors, which is the focus of my uh, presentation and Natasha is going to carry it on forward in hers. So um, I'm going to cut my sh slides short and let her um, tell the community angle of it. But we have a program. I have um, a halftime person who goes around and actually gives presentations at senior centers and senior housing and faith-based organizations. And she is fluent in both Cantonese and Mandarin and English, so we're able to deliver culturally competent presentations and educate um, not only seniors, but senior service providers on what Vision Zero is. This is a community that requires a lot of face-to-face -face outreach. Um, it's, um, it's a different communication channel than, say, younger people who are more on social media and things like that. Um, what is really amazing about this program is that it is discretionary funding, it is sustainable funding, it is in the city budget, so it, we have it every year. Normally from the public health side, we would have to pursue grants and spend a lot of time and money on overhead and infrastructure. Now that we have this sustainable funding, it helps us focus more on the project outcomes and making sure that we're delivering um, to our communities and it, it saves a lot of time and money. And um, so we put out a request for proposals to community groups. We find, this year we funded eight groups, last year we funded seven. And they are all working on, we have two groups funded at $40,000 to work on issues on a citywide level. And then we have five groups that are funded at $20,000 that work in their specific neighborhoods. And then we have one group that's um, due to the supervisor or the, uh, the council person, they were so impressed that they added um, additional funding so that a group could work specifically in her district. And so we have an additional funding for that district one this year. Um, we base our program on something called the Spectrum of Prevention. Just a show of hands, has anyone ever heard of the Spectrum of Prevention before? So this is a pretty common tool in, in public health and especially in, in the Bay Area in California. This is how we want to prevent health issues. And traditionally, people work on strengthening people's individual knowledge and skills. And that would be just a class on, say, for an example, how to install your car seat correctly. And that is very valuable, but it only reaches a handful of people. As you go up the spectrum, it's harder to do, but there is a greater reach. So um, when we put our RFP, we include this model, and we ask our groups not to focus just on these levels, but how can they foster coalitions and networks? How can they change organizational practices and ultimately influencing policy and legislation? Now, these two top levels are really where you get a lot of change that can reach most of the general public. So as I said, we've been funding, this program started in April of 2016. It's fairly new, about two and a half years. Um, we have a, heard a consistent theme from all of our funded groups is that seniors and people with disabilities do not have enough time to cross the street. And they feel like they, they, they're not able to just make it through those last few seconds. And so um, some of our groups, like Walk San Francisco and Senior Disability Action have been act asking for this change 
honestly, for over two decades. So last year was a pretty amazing year where all the groups started working together on this common theme. And there were a number of media advocacy events where they staged press conferences and invited policymakers and transportation officials to illustrate the problem. And I think Natasha is going to tell way more detail about that. And then literally, this past Wednesday, we had a really exciting announcement that I will leave you on a cliffhanger and let Natasha announce it. <laughs> but we're really thrilled about it. Thank you. So hello everyone, my name is Natasha Opfell and I work for Walk San Francisco. And as we get it up there, Walk San Francisco is a pedestrian advocacy organization that's been advocating in the city for over 20 years. Walk SF just fights for streets to become safer so that everyone in our community is healthier and gets to just make the community more livable. So the title of this is Walk San Francisco does a lot of stuff, but what we've been most involved in and what I've been most involved in for my time working there is this fighting for time, getting seniors and people with disabilities more time to cross the street. So as I said, Walk San Francisco um, works in the city to advocate for pedestrians in three ways. We work for Vision Zero, which is why all of you are here today. We work in Safe Routes to School, which is part of our Vision Zero, but also a whole different wing of our organization. And we also just work to promote walkability in general, greening, landscaping, just making streets um, more visually exciting to walk down. So um, Walk San Francisco leads um, San Francisco's Vision Zero Coalition. It's a group of 40-plus community-based organizations, neighborhood groups, CBDs, um, merchant groups around the city. Many of these organizations are located on high-injury corridors. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that feedback. But anyways, many of the signees are located along the high injury network in San Francisco. That's the 13% of streets that make up 75% of the crashes every year in our city. Part of the Vision Zero Coalition is um, a senior and disability work group where we get um, members from the Mayor's Office of Disability, the Department of Aging, as well as many different advocacy organizations. Oh, thank you. Many different other advocacy organizations on the Senior Disability Work Group. One of our main partners is Senior Disability Action, Next slide. who Anna mentioned a little bit before. They're a group of senior and disability advocates that educate seniors and mobilize them to fight for their individual rights and social justice issues in their communities. And they're part of the Vision Zero Coalition, part of the Senior Disability Work Group, but they've been fighting a long time in general for senior issues such as free Muni for seniors. Muni is our a municipal transit agency bus lines. They won a campaign to get free rides for the seniors, and they've been fighting for crossing time for a really long time. They also lead a transit justice group. So this transit justice group was funded by one of the Department of Public Health mini grants. And they were able to fight for many things, but the one that they chose this last two years was signal timing. 
We hear over and over and over again that seniors in San Francisco do not have enough time to cross the street. As Anna said, seniors make up 50% of our city's fatalities, but only 15% of the population in San Francisco. Most of these crashes where they're being killed are happening in the crosswalks. Many people think that the crash fatalities are happening because of jaywalking or dangerous pedestrian activity, but for these seniors, they're being hit where they're supposed to be walking, where it's supposed to be safe. So we um, you know, worked with SDA, Senior Disability Action, to you know, figure out why seniors don't feel safe. Number one, over and over and over again, was not enough time. And when they are forced to rush, the falling, tripping, you know, making a bad decision, these, all these factors come into account. So Senior Disability Action also did their own study, and they realized that the signal timing calculations in California were not being based to senior and dis disabled populations. They were being based on average pedestrians, which was a male, 35 years old, and how fast they were able to cross the street. Next slide. So the Senior Disability Action, their task force, which WACSF helped um, promote were based in four neighborhoods. So this is San Francisco. The red is the high injury network and they had four different task force in four different neighborhoods. Bayview in the south right corner, Richmond in the top left corner, Tenderloin in Western Edition which is that middle, and then Soma. And all of these are not only communities on, on the high injury network but also communities of concern, which I don't really like that term, but our Metropolitan Transportation Commission labels these communities as having high factors of low-income residents, seniors, monolingual communities, immigrants, people of color, and so on and so forth. So each of these communities developed a task force that had 10 to 20 community members meeting over a year's time, and they all organized their own campaigns. So this was the Bayview. They held a press conference and they invited um, politicians, news cameras, and had about 30 individuals from the community demonstrate that they did not have to cross the street on basically live television, and it was really impactful. This specific intersection, 3rd Street and Revere, is in front of a library near a school, and they were able to get this signal time increased the week after this presentation. 5th Street and Mission in Soma is kind of the downtown core of San Francisco. This is a giant transit hub, about two Two of the city's most populated transit lines cross this intersection. This is a beautiful picture of the seniors with their signs. We need more time to cross. More time equals more life. They were able to do this with a bunch of community-based organizations in that neighborhood. They got the major news channels out and the district supervisor for this organization, as well as city officials and transit engineers. Next. So Geary Boulevard and 25th in the Richmond. This is a, is this still working? Can everyone hear me? Thank you. This is in a historically Asian community, and this was the community where the supervisor is so involved that they provided some of their own funding for that neighborhood into this pedestrian advocacy work. So they did another press conference, and this was a man that was hit a year before and is just finally walking again, and he was able to speak about his experience being hit on this intersection. Next. So the final culmination of all these actions was a large action at Masonic and Geary, an intersection that's seeing a um, BRT, bus rapid transit, emerging. It is at a Target, a Trader Joe's. There are three senior centers around, and they brought everyone that was involved in each of those actions out to this intersection, and we had people from the mayor's office, people from the supervisor's office, again, all those major news channels, and an amazing showing of over 50 individuals 
it showing that they couldn't cross the street. And also, Walk SF's favorite part is this picture on the right. Those are two accessibility engineers for our municipal transit agency. We made them get in a wheelchair and use a walker and see if they could make it in time. And the answer was they could not. So, you know, pushing the engineers that are designing for these groups to actually get in the shoes of these folks, it, it was really impactful. They had never done that before, which was a surprise to us. So part of all of these advocacy actions, Senior Disability Action, again, being an organization in the city for 40 plus years, they have a lot of experience in how to make these actions successful and how to get people to turn out. Next slide. Okay. So first of all, press. Press is super important to make, you know, put on that pressure to our politicians. They were able each time to get the top three news networks and also the monolingual news networks for Spanish and Chinese speakers in our city. Politicians, you know, sending out a press release and a press request, an invitation to the politicians that are in those neighborhoods beforehand, either getting one of their aides, getting them themselves there, just so they can see and be a part of this movement. We had really good feedback from, again, the, our District 1 supervisor. This is Sandra Lee Fewer. She came to each and every press conference from when we invited her onward. City staff, getting the engineers, like I said, that are usually in their cubes behind computers, crunching numbers out and seeing how their designs affect you know, constituents in the city. This is one of the main traffic engineers in a, in a San Francisco famous mad discussion with the leader of Senior Disability Action talking about signal timing. Next. And then in San Francisco, we have a group called San Francisco Bay Area Families for Safe Streets. It's quite the acronym. This group started in New York City and it's a group of survivors and relatives of people that have died in traffic crashes. This is a hugely influential group. They spend you know, most of their free time advocating for traffic safety changes along corridors where their loved ones have passed away or where they themselves have been hit. We invited them to every press conference. You know, This is Jenny Yu and her mom next to her who was hit along Geary Street. She now has a cognitive impairment. She is no longer able to eat, drink, or be by herself, and it has completely changed their lives. So having these people at these press events that can speak to their stories and speak to the impacts that these crashes have is a huge motivator for our politicians and for engineers. Next. So all that hard work over the last two years paid off in a big way. The city gave us more time to cross citywide. It was, it was really awesome. Next slide. And this is where the math comes in. So the city, we have the entire pedestrian phase, which is the silver person and the flashing red hand. It just became California law that it used to be illegal to start crossing on that flashing red hand. California made it legal with big help from Los Angeles to, you know, you're now able to enter the street on that flashing red hand. So as soon as that law went into place, the city was able to say, hey, we can add more time to that flashing red countdown phase. So the walk interval is a silver man first. The ped clearance interval, that flashing red hand, that got changed. So it used to be 3.5 feet a second. It's now three feet a second. That's about two to three more seconds per intersection. So that's huge for our seniors. Next. So the thank you press conference, us as advocates in San Francisco, we complain a lot to the city. They hear us nagging all the time, asking for more. This was the first time we took time to say thank you. So us, Senior Disability Action, all the people that were involved with the 
press events beforehand. We wrote them a thank you card and just presented it to the chair of the Municipal Transportation Authority Board, the top two transit um, and traffic engineers, and we just said thank you and we had a big celebration on the corner of Geary and Presidio Boulevard in the city. Next slide. And we just had everybody out on the street celebrating. We were going to show a video. We rewrote YMCA to being a thank you song. And that was really lovely. And again, news, politicians, top people at our municipal transportation agency, all there to celebrate this huge effect. And this um, signal timing goes into effect immediately, but it will take about three years to roll out and hit all of the various intersections we have in our city. First and foremost, the downtown core. And as we're getting this new data from the public health department, we'll be able to implement the signal timing changes around areas that seniors and people with disabilities frequent, such as pharmacies, senior centers, libraries, parks, and so on and so forth. And that's just another picture. So thank you for listening to our story. And if you need to contact me, there's my info. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Wajeda Chambeshi, and I'm representing uh, Great Streets from um, Los Angeles in the mayor's office. So our program is a little bit different from what everybody else does. It's housed in the mayor's office. and um, next. So we have, we have a different approach and um, we, through the Great Streets Initiative we try to um, in, incorporate different aspects of uh, pedestrian safety as well as uh, neighborhood enhancement. So just keep it there, just keep it there. Okay. So we have six goals as Great Streets. Our first goal is economic activity, then we have um, uh, community engagement, we have uh, mobility access, we have safety, and we also have um, enhanced about uh, greater community engagement, improved uh, public health is uh, one of the biggest ones. So the next one. So what is our role as Great Streets? Since we are housed in the mayor's office, we kind of have the privilege to work with the city departments as well as community organizations. So we uh, outward facing as well as in, in, uh, inward facing. So our role is to empower community members to be able to come up with ideas that uh, shape their communities, their corridors in a way that they see safe. So we do not, uh, we try to have, be, have them be the voice for those streets. So we empower them by giving them uh, grants. So we have uh, a grant program that we give out every year where they, when they apply, they get the money, but one of the um, biggest things they have to do is to incorporate safety and traffic-related uh, improvements on their corridors. Next. No, before that. And, and we develop, and through, through the project, we try to develop leadership uh, so that after the grant program, we just don't leave the grant program where it is. We, we create these community leaders that are able to advocate for their streets continually. So that, for example, for the grant challenge, we give uh, build projects, we give them uh, $500,000 for every cycle. And then from there, we, we create a partnership where we work with them on different grants uh, and different uh, funding opportunities. Next. Bill. So what, what is a challenge grant? So this is a project that we, 
we have right now we have $1.5 million that is set out for, uh, for the community members. Each community member gets 500000 that is trying to do a build project. And the build project actually what it actually does, it brings actual physical improvements on the corridors. So anything ranging from uh, introducing crosswalks to uh, installation of traffic signals and all those different uh, amenities. And when we, we have a workshop for our partners where we train them and we give them a menu of options they, they would want to pick from that address traffic and safety, uh, economic, uh, increasing economic activity, uh, better public health. And then we evaluate these partners based on their cap uh, capacity and their ability to deliver on these grants. <laughs> and these are the things that they get uh, from, from the grant challenge. We give them outreach funds, uh, we give them economic assistance, we, uh, they get transportation assistance through uh, uh, a consultant firm. So we work with MIG on this current round of um, challenge grants and they help uh, community partners to design safety improvements that are really needed in those communities. And then we create assistance like throughout the project where they are able to produce uh, a technically sound um, project that can be implemented by the city. And then we help them with permitting. You know, working for, uh, being in a big city like Los Angeles, uh, departments works very independently. So it's, it's very difficult for community organizations that do not have experience to be able to implement a project. So what we do in the mayor's office, we leverage our position and help uh, community partners to be able to uh, apply for permitting, um, uh, understand codes and different other things that are more technical. Next. So like I said, we have two kinds of projects. The first one is a pop-up project. So for the pop-up projects, the community partners, they do not get uh, the $500,000. They get anywhere between ten dollars to $13,000. And what this money does is that they use it for outreach and planning. And outreach is a very, very important part of it because that's how we collect data and understand the specific needs of the communities. So for a community group that's not ready to do a build project, they usually apply for a pop-up project. And what this does is that when they get the funding, they do a demonstration. So for this one is from um, Boyle Heights in, in Los Angeles where the community said they needed uh, a crosswalk on a particular intersection but not just a regular uh, crosswalk, just, but a, a crosswalk that is re reflective of the community's character. So for this particular one, they had uh, Lacho Libadores theme crosswalk that they wanted installed in the community because it's a predominantly Hispanic community. And the community members came together and decided on which specific intersection they needed uh, this particular uh, crosswalk. And on top of that, there was still uh, you know, propose different um, improvements. So for this one, it was very interesting. We worked with an artist who created like kind of characters, um, silhouettes, and they put them on those uh, crossing signs, which shows that this is a crosswalk. And it was very unique to, to the community. They had seniors walk with a walking can, they had kids, uh, they had uh, a, a mother walk pushing um, a child in a stroller as, as the sign. And we hope at some point we'll be able to implement that and install it on this crosswalk. Next. And so like I said, um, in, that, in, the, in the previous round, we, all, we awarded four pop-up projects. One was on Hollywood Boulevard, which Chance is going to talk about a little bit more. 
and then we had one on Fourth Street, which is one which I just showed you, and then we had one on um, Crenshaw Boulevard, and then the other one was in Wilmington. So what we try to do as we as we give out these pop-ups, we try to target in, uh, communities that are low income, because usually because of um, uh, agency issues, they they it's usually hard for community members that are in low-income communities to be able to express their needs because of all these comp competing uh, priorities. You know, they do not have enough time to go out to community meetings or neighborhood council meetings. So they kind of do not have that voice uh, when improvements or when uh, projects are, are, are getting out. So we target those communities so that they can have a voice to be able to say what they, they really need through these pop-up projects. And the next one is uh, the build projects, which is the one that gets uh, $500,000 uh, for now. We hope, hopefully, we might increase this. But uh, what, what this does is that, so this, this particular picture is uh, on Reseda Boulevard, uh, which was one of our first uh, Great Streets projects. So what we had on this corridor, we, had, we extended the sidewalk to uh, increase walkability. And it was more artistic, so you can see we have like some design on the ground, and then we installed street furniture as well. And the biggest part of it was the installation of a bike lane. I know we can't see it, but it was one of the first uh, protected, protected bike lanes that was uh, installed in Los Angeles. So a build project gets a little bit more, and sometimes the budget goes over like the 500,000, so we have to leverage other funds. So. And this is where working with Vision Zero comes in. So in order to address the safety, safety aspect of our goals and mobility and access, we usually tap into Vision Zero money. So they bring in their funds, and then we are able to implement even bigger projects. And, and one thing that I didn't mention in the beginning is that when we select these projects, we select them based on they have to be located in a high injury network. So that is a very much uh, Vision Zero focused uh, um, a project and, and and what we like is that we have this component that uh, is initiated by the community, the designs that are initiated by the communities, and we get to implement that through great streets and vision zero and you know kicks in like that Next. so like I said we we gave uh, three build projects for this uh, particular round that we have one was on Pico Boulevard the one was in, uh, on Robertson. And the other one is in Vinice. And we try to spread out geographically because Los Angeles is so huge. And, um, and the money is not always enough to go around, but like, we try to address uh, all regions of the city um, to, to give them uh, the funding. So go next one. So this is uh, one of our first uh, projects, which is on Cesar Chavez, which is uh, in Boyle Heights as well. So what we did, you see, before we didn't have the continental crosswalk, we installed, we installed the continental crosswalks, and then we had uh, painted curb extensions. So like um, Natasha was saying, like crossing the street is one of the biggest uh, issues for most people. So what the curb extensions do is that they reduce the, the distance between one end of the street and the other. So instead of like, taking 15 seconds for, for a person to cross the street, when you have curb extensions, you cut down the time to like eight or 10 seconds. So they don't spend enough time in the, in the street. So uh, uh, the uh, Cesar Chavez was one of our, our flagship projects and it was really successful and you know people have been uh, 
have expressed that they would actually want to move from like a painted curb extension to actually a concrete painted extension. We do uh, painted curb extensions to try out how it's going to work, but um, with the Cesar Chavez, we've been able to tell that it actually improves the safety and uh, people are able to cross on time. So some of our successes uh, as uh, Great Streets has been like building capacity. So we have built partnership with different community organizations that were previously not in existence, but they were created because they wanted to go after this grant. And what that has meant is that they are, they are able to apply for more grants because of our partnership and we're able to leverage different resources just to direct to, to those corridors. Uh, we've improved uh, different uh, corridors like you saw in Reseda. Uh, the, the three things that I mentioned were just part of it, but we had artistic ins installations. Uh, we have, like Chansey might say, one of the um, uh, uh, proposals for their uh, community was to reinstall a, a very historic mural in Thaitown. So those are some of the things that we try to bring out. Uh, and like I said, we built new partnerships and we've increased uh, community engagement. So on average, each one of the project contacted anywhere between 500 to 1,000 community members. And this is something that you don't normally have as a city. This is, uh, this is, this is groundbreaking in a way that the, mayor, the mayor's office is uh, uh, spearheading this uh, community engagement approach where the community become the voice of, the, of, of, of what they want to see in their communities. Uh, and some of the challenges as well that we have learned throughout, uh, we need to align and coordinate our city resources. As in, like I said, this, the city of Los Angeles is really big and with different departments and with different resources. So we want to make sure that the projects that are being done by the Department of Sanitation of, or the Department of uh, uh, Transportation are coordinated in a way that they address specific needs that are needed in those communities. Uh, we need to increase funding, like 500,000 is not enough to, to do a comprehensive uh, build project uh, for those communities. So we're trying to see if we can increase uh, the amount of funding that we have. And uh, we're excited for this uh, budget cycle, which is supposed to kick in in Jul July. We got uh, more funding to Vision Zero, which can be leveraged for Great Streets projects as well. Uh, and then we also want to bring out equity as one of the biggest uh, components. I already said that we try to focus on these low-income communities that would, wouldn't otherwise like bother the city to bring improvements. What we're trying to do is to increase their capacity by providing more technical assistance to those uh, community groups so that they are, they are able to, to really understand like what are some of the specific things that we can ask from the city and what are the implications of some of those things. And, um, so, and, and also one of the things that we want, we want to do going into this project is that we want to identify uh, the capacities of different uh, community groups. Prior to that, we just asked, sent out the call for projects and they would apply, but we didn't do like a good job in assessing like what can they deliver. If they can't deliver, what are some of the specific things they need to, to deliver the, the, the project? So these are some of the things that we do and we are, our, it's unique. It's uniquely positioned because being in the mayor's office and the mayor's office is the one who, who signs the budget and 
appoints the general managers in the different uh, departments. It gives us the leverage to bring different uh, departments even inwards. One of the things that we do is we have a working group between all the different departments in the city of Los Angeles. And what we try to do is to ensure that whatever projects they work on is coordinated so that there's no duplication of work and they, uh, so that they can also uh, uh, leverage the resources they have uh, as a city. So that's something that we are proud of, that we convene a, a working group meeting with the different departments every three months so that they can discuss the different projects. Right now, we're only focusing on the projects they have on the great streets, but we hope that we can expand this and this can be a model of like just having a general conversation in a city like Los Angeles where these departments almost in, uh, operate independently. Right. That's it, thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Chansey Martorell. I'm the founder and executive director of the Thai Community Development Center, uh, which uh, this uh, April turned 24 years old. Uh, before I begin, I just want to get a raise of hands. How many of you here are from Los Angeles? <laughs> Wonderful. And how many of you here have been to Los Angeles? Okay. And in particular, Hollywood. Okay, <laughs> a lot. Well, um, as a community-based organization, uh, we actually um, do as our core mission community development, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of discuss our, our mission and then how Vision Zero uh, is, is kind of part of, of that and helping us achieve uh, the, the mission of bringing more um, sustainable and, uh, and, and uh, equitable, um, uh, I guess, um, uh, goals that we, we have for, for our community. And, um, and so Vision Zero is, is, um, is very important, not only as a way to reduce traffic deaths and collision, but also to improve the local economy and the local economic activity of, of areas that suffer from a depressed economy or that suffers from blight and, um, and also um, a lack of investments uh, because you want more walkability, you want pedestrian safety. And so that's sort of kind of what I'm gonna center my presentation on. So uh, going back to the first um, slide, the, the cover. So what I'm going to be focusing on is one of our place-based activities, and that's uh, Thai Town. We had um, designated this, uh, this East Hollywood area as, as Thai Town back in 1999. But as you can see, Thai Town, um, this is the eastern entrance of Thai Town at Normandy and uh, Hollywood. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. It's a six-block stretch. And Hollywood Boulevard is a uh, four-lane street, and it's not the safest street you want to be on, and it's not particularly um, a, a street that, that you could also cross at any given time. And so, so that's sort of uh, the image of Thai Town. Uh, while you have some um, cultural iconic images, you also have an issue of the lack of pedestrian safety. So next slide. Mission. 
of Thai CDC is, oh, I'm sorry, going back again. <laughs> so history of Thai CDC, I kind of mentioned, we had started in 1994 uh, because we really believe that people um, who are economically disadvantaged have a right to decent standard of living and quality of life. So we've addressed um, these multifaceted needs of Thai and other disadvantaged immigrants um, faced with substandard housing conditions and access to health services, education, quality employment opportunities by engaging in community development and, and, and increasing um, opportunities for economic mobility. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I guess there's, oh, it's the silver one. I, I'm so sorry, <laughs> I had no idea. So, uh, next slide. So our mission really is to advance the socioeconomic well-being of all low-income individuals and families. Uh, we are um, linguistically and culturally competent in Thai, so we target that population because of their language and culture barriers and limited English proficiency, but we serve all low-income and disadvantaged populations, and the um, area we serve um, are predominantly immigrants. So. Uh, we address why we address their economic needs for affordable housing and, and access to education and economic opportunities. We also have a very broad definition of community development uh, that is very comprehensive. It includes human rights advocacy, affordable housing, access to health care, promotion of small businesses, neighbor empowerment, and social enterprises. So we're very, very multi-purpose as well. Next slide. And so, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the campaigns uh, that we were part of was this designation of the East Hollywood area as Thai Town. Back in, it started back in 90, 1992 in the aftermath of two crises that had left uh, devastation in its wake in the city of Los Angeles. That was the 1992 civil unrest, or better known as the LA riots. And then uh, in 1994, the Northridge earthquake. And, and so we essentially started this campaign back in 92 to try to not just rebuild that part of Los Angeles, but an area that has served historically as supportive entry for Thai immigrants going back to the late 50s, and an area that has suffered blight and neglect and urban decay and depressed economy. And so Thai Town would be not just an act of assertion of our own community's consciousness, but it would also be a cultural destination and utilizing cultural tourism as a vehicle for economic development. And so, of course, here are images of the ribbon cutting back in January 2000 when, after we got and won the official municipal designation of Thai Town for East Hollywood. And we are the only official Thai Town in the country. <laughs> and, uh, and we uh, put up our gateway monument and we did a, um, a five-mile um, uh, marathon and uh, that's uh, back then Councilman uh, Eric Garcetti, who's now our mayor, who participated in that marathon. And then in 2008, we received and applied for and received the federal designation of uh, Preserve America Neighborhood for Thai Town. But what does all this mean? Um, it means that if you're going to want to promote this community as a cultural destination, uh, you want it to be walkable. You want it to be safe for pedestrians because that's how you're going to improve the local economy. And, um, and fortunately, we are also in a transit-oriented development uh, because we are surrounded by the Metro Red Line. And so you, you'll see uh, here coming up, uh, so there's um, 
basically the connecting uh, uh, red lines there that goes through our community but connects us to all the other uh, Asian ethnic enclaves too, like Koreatown and Chinatown and um, also um, uh, parts of historic Filipino town. And, um, and here you have the western entrance of Thai Town at Hollywood and Western. So you see it's on literally on Hollywood Boulevard. And um, where's the pointer here? Oh, the pointer. <laughs> so, uh, so here you have a um, mixed-use uh, development called Holly West Promenade. And uh, what you have above are senior residents because it's a affordable senior housing. And below are all the shops. Uh, retail commercial spaces. Here is the Hollywood Western Metro stop, it's the red line. But here, down here is Hollywood Boulevard, four lane street, which is um, a, a dedicated secondary highway and, uh, and not many crosswalks in between. Uh, only at major intersections do you have street lights, like at Western and Hollywood. And of course, Western is also uh, a secondary highway and so and then yet you have senior housing right here and here above the metro stop uh, is is affordable um, housing for low-income families so um, it's great that they're above the metro stops they come down take the metro but the seniors here are having a difficult time getting across so next slide and so yeah this these are just images of, of Thai town that I wanted to present they told me to put a lot of visuals in there, so go ahead. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, next, uh, before that. Um, so not only are we trying to create a cultural destination, um, but uh, we're also uh, using Titan as a strategy for equitable uh, development and trying to help us meet our uh, goals of sustainability. And, and, um, and so we essentially um, are trying to place the well-being and quality of life of people in this community as paramount. And our development, any revitalization of Thai Town should address the fundamental needs of the residents for decent jobs, economic security, and affordable housing. And immigrants really play a role in the development and revitalization of this area of East Hollywood because this is a very multi-ethnic community. Uh, it's rich in, in, uh, in cultures and, and um, uh, languages. We have predominantly Armenian, uh, besides the Thai community and, and Latinos uh, who are in this area. And, and Thai town is not just a point of interest, it's all of this uh, historic and commercial center, cultural destination. Um, it's about neighborhood uh, revitalization and community building. Uh, cultural preservation, so th the list just goes on. But most importantly, I want to emphasize the health and wealth zone of this area. Next slide. Uh, being in a transit-oriented district. So, you know, by uh, um, calling it a health wealth zone, I mean, you're promoting um, improved health uh, in the transit-oriented uh, district because, of course, um, you're reducing greenhouse gas emissions and um, the carbon footprint. And, and uh, by improving and, and increasing um, wealth, we are providing economic opportunities to do that and trying to promote uh, the creation of microenterprises and small businesses and boost the local economy while we're making it into a cultural destination. And, and this is how we will be measuring the success of Thai Town, how it contributes to the overall community development 
process and satisfies basic rights for economic security. But the first and foremost uh, thing that we need to address is safety, and, and that's where Vision Zero comes in. Um, and if we can address that, it can achieve these three things for Thai Town, the, the empowerment component, education, and entrepreneurship. And so uh, these are just some uh, collage of images of, of Thai Town that I wanted to share with you. Um, we are always celebrating our heritage and promoting our community. Just this past April, we had our annual Thai New Year's Day Songkran Festival Corporation. The only time that um, it's safe to, to walk uh, and spend time in Thai town is during this occasion because guess what? We closed down 13 blocks of Hollywood Boulevard and it's, it's basically a car-free zone. And this um, past uh, April 22nd when we held the Songkran Festival, uh, we actually had 400,000 people coming to the festival because it also coincided with Earth Day and, and metro rides were all free. So we usually get about 100,000 people visiting, uh, but this time we broke a record. We had 400,000 people and it was car free that entire day. So, so we want to continue to promote and market these cultural heritage events um, and festivals uh, because uh, really, it, it's helping us um, also um, really leverage community resources and historic assets for economic development, and, and they have intangible and tangible benefits, um, but, um, but we need to make it walkable. So, so yes, so how do we uh, achieve these sustainable uh, uh, culture, heritage, uh, tourism goals. Well, we have in our arsenal the people, the culture, the history, and and the place that is Thai Town, and this will strengthen our community. So this is where Great Streets then come in, and the uh, mayor's uh, office and and uh, where Wajenda <laughs> and his colleagues come in. Uh, we then were awarded uh, Great Streets. Uh, grant to do a pop-up uh, demonstration lab on Hollywood Boulevard in Thai Town. And, um, and this was in an effort to achieve Vision Zero. It was, of course, a competitive grant. Uh, we were awarded. And um, what I liked about uh, the kind of mayor's uh, office take on Vision Zero is the fact that it's also emphasizing um, how Vision Zero can promote economic activity and, 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 and strengthen uh, small businesses and help them grow while we make the streets safer and also promote uh, cultural uh, destinations while we're preserving the culture and empowering the neighborhood. Next slide. Yes. Okay. So we did a lot of outreach and engagement with our community and planning to make this happen and to really get this uh, pop-up project uh, done in a way that uh, is, is um, uh, really fitting uh, for for Thai Town in the cultural context. So um, here are some of the uh, engagement activities that we had uh, with our community. Next slide. And oh, silver microphone. I'm sorry. And so so in preparation for the the Great Streets demo project, uh, we invited our community members to do a lot of uh, community uh, cleanup. So we had two different cleanup days and tree planting days. So we, start, we had planted overall in the course of um, 10 years or so, 90 trees already in Thai Town. In, of course, improving sustainability and greening Thai Town by 60%. Next slide. 
And so here's some additional photos of our uh, effort to plant more trees and clean up the community. Go ahead. And um, we had a lot of community engagement meetings. So the one previous uh, to this slide uh, was at the Thai Buddhist temple. The one previous, yeah. Oh. This one, sorry. And, uh, and here the mayor's staff came out uh, to also meet with the community and talk more about Vision Zero. Next slide. And this was at uh, City Hall um, where we brought the community and Thai Council General was very active as well in, in participating in these meetings as well. And um, uh, more meetings and more engagement uh, activities. We worked with also a diversity of organizations uh, in, in the community, the Armenian uh, Community Development uh, Center, the Thai Association of Southern California. We worked with Metro, the, uh, the Thai government, the, the Thai consulate, LA Moss, uh, the city of LA, of course, the Hollywood beautification team, a uh, number of uh, organizations. And um, this is just kind of shows uh, what we did as we tried to plan and create the timeline for the demo project. And um, of course, uh, as part of our planning, we wanted to do a lot of the data collection as well. So we collected a lot of data on, uh, by doing a pedestrian count. So we use this tool to count pedestrians. Um, next slide, go ahead. Please keep going. And we were able to t determine uh, the pedestrian count on weekdays, pedestrian count on weekends, and then the collisions in Thai town um, that cause injury uh, to pe pedestrians or just vehicle to vehicle injuries. So keep going. I'm not going to have much time, so I'm just going to keep going. So this is some of the data from all of the um, pedestrian count that we did uh, that determine um, the collisions and and um, and this was uh, the surveys that we conducted prior to a demo project, um, and what we uh, had um, come up with was some of the highlights from the survey results uh, uh, for uh, the residents, what their top priorities were, and for the businesses, their top priorities. So residents, their top priority was landscaping and street lighting, um, addressing the issue of homelessness um, and more transit amenities and recreational spaces. For the businesses, their top priorities were parking, uh, also de dealing with homelessness, landscaping, and community safety, uh, I mean crosswalk safety, I'm sorry, and um, the last one was uh, the improvements in sidewalk. And um, we had in our demo project demonstrated different types of enhancements and activities. Um, like uh, the uh, the crosswalks, uh, the decorative, the Thai stylized crosswalk. We had parklets. We had all kinds of activities, and and uh, surveys showed that we had um, uh, a majority actually wanting the the crosswalks, the decorative crosswalks. So we're going to keep going. Oh no, going back to the um, going back again. Um, okay, going this. Yeah, so this was kind of the, the mapping and the plan that, that we created of how we're going to present our demonstration project. I'm totally timed now, and Ashley's next, so I'm just, just going to keep going until, oh no, right here, the, the one before. Yeah, this is kind of our outreach flyer that we use to get people out, and next. I'm almost there. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should. So this was how we... Um, put in the temporary decorative crosswalk. Uh, be, you can see the before and after. Next slide. 
and uh, the aerial view of what it looks like along the four-lane highway and some of the other enhancements we have like the mural and um, and so yes yeah, so this is sort of how we want to see the future of that western gateway to Thai town uh, with all our trees with the decorative crosswalks next slide I'm almost done and this is at the metro stop that I've mentioned Hollywood and Western and that metro stop how we're improving health in addition to not just greening Thai town and being in a TOD we also have weekly farmers markets Mondays and Thursdays um, and, and then uh, coming um, in the very near future is our Thai town marketplace uh, which is our business incubator and social enterprise at that Hollywood Western Metro stop as well so that will um, be opened in September so that's yeah so just go ahead and <laughs> I'm gonna go over that and this is just images of what our marketplace will look like so these are sort of all of the plans that we have in mind to make this area a cultural destination and then actually uh, make it uh, safe and at the same time boost the local economy so thank you Thank you. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm the Vision Zero Education and Outreach Coordinator for the Austin Transportation Department. Um, currently, I'm the only Vision Zero funded position uh, within the city of Austin. And so, um, a little history about our crashes in Austin. We have, on the average year, 79 people that die. And for every person that dies, on average, eight people are seriously injured. Um, and so when we're looking at the data, and really Vision Zero is a data-informed um, effort, right? So we want to look at who's being most impacted. Um, so yeah, right here you see our, the people who walk, who bike, and who ride motorcycles in Austin, they only make up about 7% of our commuters, but they're over half of our fatalities and serious injuries. So um, it's really important that we focus on these vulnerable users. And then digging a layer deeper, in the next slide, it'll show you that um, really our communities of color are also disproportionately affected. Um, the blue numbers are the population, and then the red are the traffic deaths. So you'll see our Hispanic and black communities, um, they're just overrepresented when it comes to our traffic deaths and serious injuries. And so when we are looking at outreach, we really want to look at who do we need to be working with because they're most impacted by these deaths and serious injuries. Um, so in Austin also, when people, a lot of times when we're talking about Vision Zero and getting to zero traffic deaths and serious injuries, I get a lot of eye rolls, I get a lot of good lucks, and what I like to tell people is 80% of those deaths and serious injuries can be contributed to just six main driving behaviors. And when you think about just six main driving behaviors, it's really something we can have an impact on. It is doable. We can reach this goal of zero. Um, so those are the six driving behaviors uh, in Austin. This is all Austin-specific data. So the next slide. Um, our, the City of Austin Housing Authority has this awesome program where they hire their residents to be mobility ambassadors. And what those mobility ambassadors do is they get paid a stipend to talk to their neighbors about mobility options and also some of the technology that can be used to help them plan their trips. Um, it's a great program and these um, individuals are really well versed in transportation already and transportation options. So this program presented at our city hall on, on the Mobility Ambassador program. 
Um, and my boss, my supervisor was there, saw that, brought it back to me and said, I wonder if we can just have them also talk about transportation safety. And that got me extremely excited because I thought, heck yes, these people are awesome. They already have the lingo down. They already know about transportation options. Why shouldn't they be just talking about safety as an element of getting around? Um, so when we look at the housing authority, they have 18 public housing properties and 4,000 section eight units. Um, so they have about 19,000 individuals that are a part of their community. And on the next slide, you'll see a map um, of their reach. So we have a really vast reach when we partner with the housing authority. So to me, it was a no-brainer, and it was really, is it a no-brainer for them as well? Do they want to work with us as the transportation department? Um, so we sat down with uh, one of our partners at the housing authority, and you can go to the next slide, um, to talk about would they be interested in this? And if so, what are their needs that are not being met that we could help, re we can help meet? So um, the next slide, we really outlined in a work plan what role each of us would play. So what would the city do? What would the housing authority do? What needs did both of us have that we could meet? Um, and this was a really important document for outlining those roles and responsibilities, for keeping us accountable throughout the program, um, but also realizing this had to be a fluid document um, and a living document, and it's probably on its fourth iteration at this point. Um, but it was really important to talk about what their needs were, and what I heard loud and clear from them is their residents need job training, and they need to get an hourly wage, not just a stipend. So through that, we created a contract with uh, the housing authority so that they would pay um, an hourly wage to their residents to talk about Vision Zero and transportation safety to their communities. Um, and with that would come a bunch of training, so it would really help them with their uh, job development skills. Um, and then through feedback from them, we kind of expanded that even more, which is on the next slide, I think, is our um, trainings. So we had um, a first training with them that just went over what Vision Zero is, what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to get there, how to talk about Vision Zero. Um, pretty universally, we want to use very specific language like crash and not accident so that it's not accident makes it seem like it's not preventable, but a crash is absolutely preventable. So really teaching them th that language so that they can use it when they're out in their community. Um, but I think one of the most valuable pieces of our first training was sitting down, all of us, and breaking down barriers. And for the city to really understand why these individuals are at the table, why they're passionate about transportation safety. Um, and it really set the tone for the rest of the training and the rest of the program, knowing that they don't need to learn about traffic deaths and serious injuries. They're very well versed in that. They live it every day on their streets. Um, and what they really need is information on how best to talk to the public when they're out there talking about Vision Zero and transportation safety and really boosting their confidence. That came out of the first training. So then they had a second training that was positive influence conversations. And this was something the housing authority actually hosted um, on our behalf to talk to the residents. It was really a professionalism training and is what it came down to. The people that were hired said, this is so exciting, we can't wait to get out there, but we're kind of insecure. We don't know how to dress, we don't know what to say. Can you have a training that teaches us all of that? 
So they hosted this and they had a great um, turnout and that's the bottom picture is um, Claudia is teaching about just some of the basics of professionalism, how to dress at events, uh, how to talk about Vision Zero. Really important to the Housing Authority was how to talk about our partnership. Um, they did not want the employees to be saying they were with the city. They wanted them to say, we are with Austin Pathways and we are partnered with Vision Zero. So that was something that came through loud and clear in that training as well. And then we had a third training that was just tabling one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of the events they go to, they set up a table and they try to collect pledges from people about safe mobility. Um, so it was, how do you set up a table? How do you grab people's attention? And then how do you keep their attention once they're at your table? Um, so those were our trainings. Um, once they were trained and up and running, uh, we had one individual specifically, this is Ernesto, and he has gone to over 15 events, reached approximately 5,200 individuals. Um, just yesterday, I didn't get the pictures in time to throw them in this presentation, but just yesterday, him and another individual were tabling at a senior event for the Housing Authority with over 300 seniors. Um, they had a congressman and our mayor sign our pledge and got to take pictures with them. So a really cool opportunity for these individuals and a great resume builder as well. Um, so that's our outreach. They're going to tabling events. We also talked to them about, you know, these are the events that we have that we would like your help with, but what do you think you should be doing? And they have resident leadership meetings at each one of their properties. And so Ernesto got on every one of those agendas and went and spoke to each one of their resident council memberships about Vision Zero, about the pledge, about how to get involved with transportation safety. So that was really great. And it's it's so important for us to listen to the communities and see where do you think we should be and how should we be there and they'll if you give them the tools they'll do it for you and it's amazing to see it um, so just some successes and lessons learned our successes have been the major outreach that we've had I alone could not be reaching all those people and so it's been great to have Ernesto and Jan on our team doing this on our behalf um, Ernesto is also fluent in Spanish and so he's able to reach these mainly Spanish-speaking communities that unfortunately I'm not able to get to um, we've also had a a recent success, our housing authority is going to be requesting funds for a full-time mobility coordinator so that they'll have somebody on staff who can really keep this program going um, and it'll, it'll include the mobility ambassadors and also our Vision Zero ambassadors. So that would be really exciting if they get funded for that position. Um, we also have been able to utilize our ambassadors for, we're redoing our uh, it's called the Austin Strategic Mobility Plan, which is going to be our transportation plan moving forward. And they're requesting a lot of feedback from different communities. Um, but here's a community that is maybe a little bit harder to reach because of their schedules and their time commitments. Um, and so we've been able to uh, utilize these ambassadors and this program to get feedback from our housing authority communities on what they want to see in our transportation plan, what's important to them, um, which is huge. Some lessons learned. Uh, we started with five individuals that were supposed to work on this program. Uh, I think four ended up making it through training, and then we only had Ernesto for most of the program because of different uh, 
incidences. Uh, one individual had to watch her grandchild and wasn't able, available to work. Another individual came down with pneumonia and wasn't able to. So I think a major lesson for me was realizing that a lot of these individuals, they don't have necessarily all their basic needs met. And so as passionate as they are and enthusiastic, they might not be able to carry through on the program. So I will definitely hire more individuals next time because I just don't think you can ever have too much outreach in those communities. And so having more, knowing that things come up and we need to be flexible and allow them to uh, take the time off that they need. Um, also, I think next time I will hire the individuals directly to the city if we're able to do that. Uh, because I think going through a third party made it really difficult for the individuals. They didn't know who they needed to answer to, uh, where their schedule was coming from, and it, it just made it a little bit more confusing than maybe it needed to be. And then lastly, I think um, a huge lesson learned is they don't always have communication tools. A few of these individuals were on a... Um, or a prepaid phone card, and so we could get a hold of them fine in the early weeks of the month, but towards the end of the month, those phones would be shut down and we couldn't get a hold of them. Uh, so figuring out a way that they could have consistent communication tools either provided by the city, provided by the housing authority, some way that we can consistently get a hold of them. Uh, we ended up being able to really lean on our partnership with the housing authority staff members who know these individuals and are able to go out and just knock on their door and make sure everything's okay. Um, so that was something that was really useful. And I think moving forward, we will um, maybe even give them some designated office space so that they can come in and have that structure because that's something we were trying to not provide on purpose to provide flexibility. But um, I think the structure would have been really helpful as well moving forward. And I think that's it for me. And that's my contact information. All right, great presentations. I learned a lot just in this period of time. Can everybody hear me in the back? Great, great. So uh, for those of you who had a chance to write down your questions on any of the actual cards that were on the table, which look like this. Um, can you raise those cards up? Okay. And then, yeah, if you can collect those for me and I'll read them out. And then, again, if there are questions that do come up through this Q&A, we'll use this microphone and hand it out for those so we can have questions to be asked. So while they're collecting that, uh, I do have a couple of questions for the panelists. One for Anna and Natasha. So um, either one of you guys can, can answer this. So I noticed in the data looked or seemed back in 2017 or at least 2007, that was the height over about a 15 year period of time. We had 41 uh, fatalities on the roadways and it reduced down to 20. So I'm curious, uh, right now, at least for 2017, did you get a chance to dive into the data a little bit more on the 20 fatalities that were a part of the 2017 number to understand those demographics? So were there low-income individuals that were impacted, people with disabilities, things of that nature? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll make that. 
Um, so my, can you hear me in the back? So my colleagues um, in the health department have just recently gone through the data for 2017, and I actually wanted to incorporate some of those slides in here, but in the interest of time, we, we di I didn't, and I'm very happy to forward that information. Off of the top of my head, the populations um, in terms of race or ethnic groups is the ones that were most impacted were um, Asian communities, which is a significant population in San Francisco, particularly the Chinese-speaking community, and um, the white population. Uh, the One of the recent developments that we have done is what I referenced earlier is that we were able to link the police records with our Trauma One Level Center to not only just look at fatals, but look at severe injuries. Fatals, whether it's 41 or 20, that's a relatively small number. So when there are blips, whether we have a really high or a low, that's not going to be, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So looking at all of the injury data helps paint a more comprehensive picture. And that we haven't analyzed fully yet. And I'm happy to share any of the, that anal analysis with you. But um, one of the big takeaways that we've got is that it's, it's really age and that people with disabilities, we've just done a recent breakdown, that they're the most impacted in, in Vision Zero. We are different than other cities in the fact that we don't really have many, we literally had zero fatalities for our people under the age of 24 in 2017 and small numbers of injuries, which is, um, which is a success and we want to hold that. Great, thanks. So just to let you guys know, we have about 10 minutes, okay, so to get through this. We have several questions. If we don't get a chance to uh, get to everyone's question, of course, these individuals will be available, so feel free to ask them individually. Uh, so one question is, are you ever confronted with resistance to sidewalks or landscaping improvements or safer streets as a beginning towards gentrification? If so, how do you address that? Who would like to take that uh, question? San Francisco is facing a huge housing crisis. We are a city that's only seven by seven miles, so there's no real space to even spread out. A lot of our communities are f just fighting to stay in their neighborhoods. These neighborhoods have social services, transit. If they get displaced, they lose access to all these things. So when the city acts off the high injury corridor, we know that these cities have been just underinvested in for ages so that these, the High Injury Corridor maps all our low-income communities and all our immigrant and communities of color. So when we go to do infrastructure improvements, they're seen as green gentrification. People say, this protected bike lane is not for me. It's not for my community. I don't use that. It's for white, rich cyclists passing through. And as planners and as an advocate, I know that this can help people, and I know that it's not just white, rich people on bikes, but these you know, new projects are seen as kind of this just instant gentrification, this instant thing to blame, this instant thing to, to call attention to. So we're seeing fierce pushback on every single Vision Zero project that we're putting in the city, and I don't know if anyone else wants to speak to that. 
So uh, just like San Francisco, Los Angeles has its fair share of uh, the battle for gentrific against gentrification. And like I showed, one of the pictures is in Boyle Heights, which is the epicenter of where uh, gentrification has been uh, a very big issue in the past couple of years. So which is why, like what, how we've designed our model of community outreach and partnering with organizations like Thai CDC, we try to identify community organizations that are, are from those communities and that reflect uh, the identity and the needs and desires of those communities so that when we bring in a project, it's not a project that's coming from the city. So we try to take a down-up approach with these improvements. So we try as much as possible to engage the communities, give them several opportunities to have uh, input sessions so that they, so that when we bring in a project like that, they know that this is a project that's coming from the community. But this is not to say that our, our model is like flawless and it works. We still face resistance even through that. So we try, we are consistently, co constantly uh, trying to improve the approach so that we get as much buy-in as possible. All right, great. Real quick. Um, same for Austin. We have the same issues, um, and I would say that the public engagement process is just really important. We had one project that was pushed back on pretty heavily, and it just changed the way we do outreach. So now anytime an infrastructure project that includes green infrastructure is going down, our designers are going to those communities multiple times with the design plans. They roll them out on a big scroll, and anybody in that community is able to come and write down what they think should be, should stay or should change. Um, and that's really helped the community feel ownership of the project. All right, great, great. So this was a quick one from Natasha. Um, so this is with regards to the implementation for the signal timing changes. So why is it going to take three years to make that happen? So short and sweet, uh, not it's not just a computer in, a, in an office building that can change it. It has to be done in the internal computers under all these signals or in the individual signal boxes because those are being timed to streets that are being improved just basically in our capital improvement plan. So any streetscape project that's coming up will get the signal timing change and it will follow that rollout because that's a three-year, two to five-year plan. It has to go in that order. Just um, as the streets get improved, those will get turned on. I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, is there a cost associated with doing the signal timing? No, there's no cost other than just funding the position of the engineer that goes and changes that signal box. Very good. Walk SF wants to, it to happen all at once, uh, by the way. Uh, this of <laughs> course, absolutely. So, so uh, for, I think this is for you, um, uh, for regarding the uh, pop-up uh, projects. Uh, the, can a neighborhood adopt a intersection? Uh, do the painting of cross, walks, I guess, or are they included as a part of the pop-up projects? So that's, that's where the city of Los Angeles is moving to. So what they're creating in the Department of Transportation is called the Mobility Investment Plan, where all these community uh, planned projects are going to be filtered in this, in this pipeline, where they get uh, funding opportunities. So they'll be you know, included in the general uh, Department of Transportation plan. And other than that, we can, they, those uh, projects can be funded through external grants. Through. So in, I think, Los Angeles, we have a project, uh, a major called Measure R, which funds all major, uh, all transportation-related uh, projects. So they can be funded through a project like that. Okay. And, and great. And just to uh, piggyback on that, so there's the $500,000 that is associated with the grant 
in, in its entirety, right? Yes. Okay, so what, what, what's like the average grant that a community would get? So everybody gets a f the $500,000. Okay. So everybody gets that if they're doing a build project. A pop-up project gets anywhere between ten dollars to $13,000. So, but on top of that, like I said, we leverage Vision Zero funds. So we are able to tap into what a Vision Zero has. So because all our projects are in a, on a high injury network. So if, if the community members suggested a crosswalk or a signal or anything like that, we straight go into Vision Zero and the, the other $500,000 can be used for other beautifications like, like tree planting, street furniture, and art and things like that. Okay, thanks, Agenda. Yeah. So I, I just, there was something that I meant to say earlier in my presentation is that th this money that goes out to the community is sometimes considered a soft cost and is always questioned. Um, but this is, um, helps build that community capacity and helps counter those critiques such as gentrification. And it's so much cheaper than some of these multi-million dollar infrastructure projects that we're talking about. So it's, I, of course, think that it's worth the time and the investment into the community to help build that capacity and bring that counter voice so that we can get these projects built. All right, great, great. So I think this will be the final question. Uh, so Chauncey, uh, there you go. So we have uh, one question for you. Uh, is the business improvement district uh, or any other community funding uh, helping to fund Thai Town? Very good question. <laughs> we deal with that funding uh, issue for Thai Town every day. Um, Building um, Thai Town and, and revitalizing Thai Town, you know, takes um, a lot of funding, and we've been able to um, uh, receive uh, some beautification grants from the city of Los Angeles, for example, that helped us put up the uh, the cultural monuments uh, like the Upson Sea Thai Angel Gateway and the decorative Thai stylized lamppost, the Kinara lamppost, uh, for example. A lot of the fundraising is also in the Thai community, and the Thai government also provides some support because it uh, it promotes Thai culture and Thai heritage and what have you. Um, but um, we, of course. Uh, uh, Worked with the city and got this um, grant from Great Streets to do the um, to do the pop up, uh, and that helped us with the community outreach engagement, the data collection, the surveys, and 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 all the temporary enhancements that may lead to like a build out project um, in the near future. But um, unfortunately, we do not currently have a business improvement district, which uh, could help uh, sustain. Um, the development of Thai Town because unfortunately, after four uh, campaigns uh, to to get a business improvement district, uh, we've been unsuccessful in getting property owners who are predominantly non-Thai because uh, most of the businesses um, that are Thai owned, the, the, the business owners are tenants. And so because property owners are not uh, Thai, they don't want to be assessed uh, the fees uh, and, and, and uh, you know, if we were to have uh, those fees generated from those assessments, that could keep up the beautification, the cleaning, and all of the um, uh, the repairs and maintenance and trash pickup and all that and security. But uh, for now, it's Thai CC raising money from the community and getting grants and getting, um, and then also just improving the local economic activity uh, in the area because we ourselves, as a community development organization, I mean, we have our farmers markets and then now we're going to open our Titan marketplace. So right. those are major grants mostly. Great.
and tax credits. Great. Well, thank you. I think that's going to conclude our Q&A. Let's give a round of applause to all our panelists. So now uh, we're going to transition into the recognition of the Photo Voice Project Artist. So I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures outside in the lobby. Uh, it's a great indication of how people's perspective about uh, the ways folks were able to get around or not able to get around uh, Federal Boulevard. And this was a, uh, a actual effort that took a month long that was really sponsored by the Denver Department of Public uh, Works, uh, the Denver Department of Public Health and Environment, and Denver Tech Services, Technology Services Department for the city in partnership with Walk Denver and the University of Denver. And so uh, there were a lot of effort, a lot of workshops that were put into place, and a lot of participants that took time out to really articulate and illustrate uh, where their perspectives were as it relates to walking and uh, traveling along the Federal Boulevard corridor. And so what I would like to do, I guess, Michelle, maybe have you come up and introduce folks or have folks come up who are part of the photographers and artists that made up this effort so we can recognize these individuals for the great work that they've done. And then I uh, will turn it over to uh, Sherry Gurele. Gurley to uh, uh, say a couple words about this effort and then we'll get ready for, for lunch. Excellent. So uh, the participants didn't necessarily know they were going to be called up. If you feel comfortable calling up, we do have a photo book to present to you as a thank you for your effort in the Photo Voices project. Um, if you don't feel comfortable coming up, feel free. You can stand up or we will also deliver the photo book to you as well. So at this time, anyone who would like to come up who is part of the Photo Voices project, um, please come on up and Euless will hand you a photo book. And Hello everyone, um, like I said, uh, my name is Sherry Gurley. I'm in the Marley neighborhood off of Federal. Um, I want to start by thanking you all for taking the time out of your weekend to be here today. Uh, you're proving this is an important discussion to have, and I believe that if we work together, we can find appropriate solutions to the traffic safety issues in our communities. This is obviously important to all of you, and I would like to take a moment to tell you why it's important to me as well. I was born and raised in Denver, more specifically off of Federal Boulevard. My dad has lived in the same house for over 50 years. As a child, we rode buses, uh, we walked, we biked, almost everywhere, but crossing Federal was not allowed. My parents knew the danger of the street, even though my brothers and I had friends who lived across the street, we were not allowed to go over there unless we were supervised. While this may have worked when we were kids, as I grew up, it was no longer an option to simply avoid the busy road. We had to learn how to safely navigate as pedestrians, bicyclists, and eventually drivers. I feel like Federal Boulevard is another vein in my body. When the time came for my husband and I to buy a home, we were very blessed with the opportunity to buy a home off of Federal Boulevard within minutes of my parents' house. This road connects me to my family, friends, work, and social life. I spend so much time on Federal, I feel like I know every pothole, every stoplight, every food truck, every neighbor. The thing I love about Federal is how it ties us all together. This is also the thing that I fear. We are using this boulevard to get to where we're going. We all have different lives, different priorities, but no matter who you are and what you're doing, we need to make safety our number one priority. 
We all share this road and we owe it to ourselves and each other to make our community safe. Today you're gonna to see pictures from myself and my peers who live and work along Federal Boulevard. Our hope is to showcase what makes us feel safe and happy and what makes us feel unsafe or what can be improved upon up on Federal Boulevard. I've learned so much from this experience and I was honored to be a part of the Vision Zero project. I sincerely hope that you leave this forum today with new resolve, resolve to improve your community and the roads we share. In the words of Sonia Johnson, we must remember that one determined person can make a significant difference and that a small group of determined people can change the course of history. Thank you again for your time and energy.